0: Alright, you are now tuned into PvD horror. This is Joshua. This is
1: Brandon. And this is
2: Dave. And this is Steve Rodzinski, world-famous filmmaker and actor from Silver Spotlight Films.
0: And you are now tuned into PvD Horror. And you are now tuned into PvD horror.
1: hey there boils and ghouls this is david howard thornton art the clan himself from terrifier and the upcoming terrifier 2 and you're listening to pvd horror kill you later
0: i love it world 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 famous the uh that was awesome dude <laughs> um so i'm just gonna jump right in uh right away i'm actually a pretty big fan of yours i've seen a lot of your films um and i wanted to start off Uh, Can you tell us about the Meowie films?
2: Absolutely, I'll tell you about the Meowie films, the Meowie Chronicles, the saga, the epic saga that has been going on for years over the course of four films into its epic conclusion which just recently came out. Um, So we finished Kara's Hell in 2016 and it got picked up for distribution relatively quickly. But the distributor outright said, we are going to get to releasing it for a while. So um, I was just like, oh, what the hell am I going to do with my time? Because I can't justify making another, like, relatively larger budget horror movie when the first one is going to be sitting in a vault for, you know, two yeah. years. So at the time, my uh, good brother Bill Murphy and I had a, our own podcast called Movie Films with Bill and Steve, which is dead. Is someone's uh, house on fire?
3: Hold on.
0: Is your house on fire? Run it! Stop drop and roll, man. Stop drop and roll.
2: (laughs) I like that at heart, it smash cuts back to just an empty room because the beeping (laughs) is so loud.
3: Yeah. (laughs) you
2: got to love it. All right. So so for movie films, Bill and Steve, uh, we started watching some talking animal holiday movies. Because, why not? Fuck it. Um, So the first one we watched was The Three Doggateers, which was actually funny and self-aware and knew what it was, and we had a lot of fun with it. And then we watched The Dog Who Saves Christmas and The Dog Who Saves Halloween, and it was the most milk toast, insultingly generic garbage I've ever seen in my life. And they clearly had six figures worth of budget on each of the movies, because they had fucking gigantic mansions as their homes they have dean kane they have uh, lance hendrickson is in uh the dog who saves halloween but it's the worst scripts i've ever seen for what could have been literally anything better so out of anger and spite i wrote a meowy christmas Because The Dog Who Saves Christmas was literally just a shittier version of Home Alone, except with a dog. So I said, I'm going to make a shitty version of Home Alone with my cat and $500. And then people really liked it, for whatever reason. (laughs) Um, For those of you at home who aren't familiar with the Meowie films, uh, the plot of the first one is that a cat watches Alex Jones videos all day long. And believes him, and so she thinks two burglars are lizard aliens coming for her because she knows the truth. That the CEOs have kidnapped Santa Claus, so you can keep buying presents for them. Keep keep working people down. (laughs) Um, That's awesome. So people loved it for some reason. It made money almost instantaneously. So I was like, okay, well, I just want to do one more. You know, I've always had this itch to make a PG horror movie, you know, like, because I'm a -hmm. a huge sucker for PG horror, because most of my years, Blood and Guts, R-rated, gore horror. So, you know, when October rolls around, I'm just like, I want Paranorman, I want Ernest Scared Stupid. Like, this is what I want for the month of October. Yeah. Um... So I always wanted to make my own, and that's what a Maui Halloween is. It is just a, it's a is a PG horror movie starring a cat and a dipshit police detective from the first film still with as many horror references as possible without it not being PG. Mm. Such as, for example, there's a puzzle box in the film that gets touched a little bit, and the rat says, hey, don't mess with that. We, we're busy. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then later in the film, my police partner picks up the box, opens it, and then there's just a bright white light and chains, and then he disappears for the rest of the film. And that's <laughs> all you get. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> I love it. i would seen the, the cover to the, to the film, and it, it reminded me of Ernest Scared Stupid. So Absolutely.
2: Was like, oh, was cool, yeah. Huge fan of... Meiac is a very integral part of the plot in a Meowing oh, okay. Halloween, to be clear. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, and that one was even, an even bigger hit! It was insane! Apparently... <laughs> Talking Cat Horror Movies is a market that was untapped for decades. I, <laughs> I took, love it. When we finally, like, released Carousel, like, officially, and, like, don't get me wrong, at that point I'd hit the conventions, like, uh, a couple rounds with my own home-released films, but when I had the official release and I went to conventions, and mm-hmm. I had that and Meowy Halloween, fucking the $300 cat movie sold substantially more copies that year. To a ridiculous (laughs) level, best financial decision of my life was making a meowy Halloween.
3: That's awesome.
2: Uh, And then, you know, at that point, people just really liked one and two so much. And I kind of had I wanted at the time I made the wish like I don't want to make any movies in 2020. I want to take a whole year off without working. As we now know, the monkey's paw curled up and granted that wish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you
3: got um, it you're
2: welcome. <laughs> But because I had that plan I was just like, okay, you know what? People really like the Meowie movies I could make these forever, but I don't want to So let's tell like an ending Let's actually have an ending, which is insane For these sorts of films But, but for some reason people like them So I wrote and shot 3 and 4 back to back in 2019 So then we released A Meowie St. Patrick's Day In March of 2020 Um, And that one is basically sort of like a Freaky Friday with Wally, the police detective, and his cat. They switch bodies in order to find a leprechaun to undo the curse. Um, But because they didn't have enough money to pay the leprechaun, the curse has a side effect. And the post-credit scene shows that Wally is in the year 2050 where lizard aliens have taken over the world because apparently Alex Jones was right. Fuck. Fuck. (laughs)
3: <laughs>
0: story ever dude I love it
2: uh, and so 4 it takes place in the future and it's like a parody of like big summer blockbuster like it's making fun of like Avengers Endgame and the Rise of the Skywalker and it's just like <laughs> Over-the-top insanity. It has characters from all the previous films show up. It's also basically a 10-year anniversary film of my career. So there's references to, like, Captain Z and Karis Hell and the Slasher Hunter and Super Task Force 1. Like, everything that I've ever made gets brought up in Meowie 4 at least once. And, and it ends with a pro-wrestling match between me and the villain because I'm insane and I just wanted to do something weird.
0: <laughs> so, now you- I, I, I gotta get this out, you just mentioned uh, Task Force 1, um, which I was a huge fan right? Well, thank I, you I, so much <laughs> the, I actually, I heard a podcast where you had just bought a suit that you, because there's only one guy that like makes the suits and you got it um, and just to justify the purchase, you made the movie which I, I thought was really awesome, so uh, kudos to you But then at the end, Dr. Suki came out, and he was, like, the guy who made everything. And I was like, so where's the sequel?
2: Oh, I'll tell you where the sequel is for Super Task Force 1. The sequel is non-existent because Super Task Force 1 was a financial failure for the first two years of release.
1: And
2: Uh. I was just like, well, I'm not going to, like, spend thousands of dollars because the sequel would cost way more since I'd have to make new monsters and buy more super suits. Because in in Part 2, there would have been three more enforcers, and then in part three it would have been the whole team. So I was just like, I would need fifteen to $20,000 to film two and three, or like just seven to $8,000 to film just two by itself. And one made no money in two years. Like, I mean, it, it kind of broke even, but it was a huge upward struggle, and it only had a budget of like $2,000. Like, it was dirt cheap. It was a passion project. It wasn't like a very, very serious ordeal. I just really loved that genre and wanted to do something with it. Um, and then, funny enough, that is my other second best financial decision, because ever since then, past the two-year mark, it blew up on streaming in a way that I never expected. Like, it made so much money on Prime Video before they fucked over indie filmmakers with how much they pay on Prime Video, but there was definitely multiple years where we were making a bunch of money off of that, and even after Prime cut down how much they pay us, it was still doing really solid. It was still, like, one of the top performers. It was doing really okay. And now it just got picked up by Tubi TV, and apparently Tubi does real good with that sort of stuff. So it might be even doing even better. But at this point, it's been seven years since I made the first one, and I just don't have it in me to make another one unless I'm able to get enough money to pay someone else to edit it and do all the effects because that is a yeah. level of stress and patience I don't have anymore. But if you're you're a fan of Super Task Force 1, have you seen Meowie 4 yet?
0: uh, I haven't gotten that far.
2: Spoilers, Emperor Zagel is the villain of Meowie 4. He got thrown through dimensions in Super Task Force 1. And now he's killing everyone that looks like Jason Oliver on this Earth.
3: (laughs) That's funny, you say that you're kind of like finished with trying to do the editing process yourself. I had seen that you've been in the film industry since you were 16 years old and how how was it how was it um, going through that at at such a young age?
2: Well, you know, when I'm 16, you know, that's definitely an exaggeration cuz obviously I'm making garbage backyard movies when I'm 16. <laughs> you
1: know, mm-hmm. the
2: the wolfster movies and legends are not something that I ever want to promote or talk about, but they exist. And because my fans hate me, they're available on SteveBuster.com There's also a two hour long video where I get very drunk and just insult legends for two straight hours because it's garbage (laughs) and I hate everything about it. But it exists. Um, But it was one of those things where like I talked to other filmmakers and like got their opinions and they basically all told me the same thing. Like you got two choices, Steve. Either you could go to film school and spend twenty to fifty thousand dollars going to film school or you could just make movies and look up on the internet, and talk to people, and get the answers of what you need to, like, figure out and what you're doing, Mm -hmm. and then you'll get the exact same experience, it'll just take longer, but then, hey, you might have some stuff you could then sell. You know, actual creations that you have made, instead of just using equipment at film school. So I opted for that because you know I was never school was never my cup of tea growing up. Uh, not it's not the sort of environment that I learn best in. It's not the sort of environment that I thrive in. Whereas forcing myself to do things with my own money and like trying to create something from nothing—that I always did thrive in, even if I made absolute garbage trash for the first five years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd say The Slasher Hunter was my first real movie. And even then, Slasher Hunter and Everyone Must Die and even Super Task Force still have their own you know, issues and stuff. Don't get me wrong, they aren't perfect, but that's where my career really did start, I would say.
0: Yeah, okay. Yes. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so uh, there was a, one of my favorite uh, movies that you had done. Um, I actually put it down. There was a couple of them. I really like Scream Park. That um, one
2: I just acted in.
0: Yeah. Uh, you, you were fucking great in that movie <laughs> thank you very much that was uh, so uh, as far as screen Park goes how was it like because you didn't write it you didn't direct it how did you get involved in it and how was it like just doing whatever everybody else told you to do kind of thing
2: Uh, Well, that definitely wasn't the, like, first or the only time where I did, in fact, just act in someone else's production. You know, I've been doing that before Scream Park. I've been doing that since Scream Park. Um, In terms of getting involved, you know, there was just, like, casting calls listed, you know, in Pittsburgh Film Office, on some of the Pittsburgh audition things. I just sent in a headshot and auditioned, and, you know, they liked me. They picked me. Cool. That's all I got. Like, I don't (laughs) got much more story than that. Uh, As for, like... I mean, if you're just asking, like, the general question of, like, what is it like to, like, just listen to someone else instead of direct myself, yeah, I fucking—I the... love it, generally speaking. It's nice to just, like, not have to worry about a hundred things on set and not have to worry about how we're getting this shot or what the schedule is. It is very nice to just show up, be the talent, and then go sit down when they're done with me for that shot yeah. and they don't need anything else.
0: <laughs> just give it up <laughs> just give me the check i love Absol- it
2: yeah absolutely <laughs> but generally just- speaking i do i do enjoy it like if i if i had like a perfect a perfect schedule because i also do some more a lot of a uh, marvel live work when there isn't a viral pandemic going on so there's a lot of acting that i do with that but ignoring that for a moment my perfect year would be one year one excuse me my perfect year would be directing one movie and acting in another movie that isn't mine i would love to do that every year but who knows with the world
0: yes the world may never know
2: i'm actually getting something small right now for bpo films called dead on the davenport they're still in production though so i have no idea when it comes to release or when that's coming but that one's going to be fun Ooh, that's
0: exciting
1: Uh, Steve, I, w- I wanted to ask, um, you know, so speaking of acting, um, so as far as, like, your, your role in um, Carousel... Um, do you find it easier just to make yourself the one of the main protagonists? Or was that like a conscious choice?
2: No, I fucking didn't want to do that at all. I was bullied okay. into that shit. I did not want to be Joe the Pizza Guy. I did not want to deal with all those goddamn... First of all, I didn't want to deal with all the goddamn reviews that would be, mm, of course the director is Joe the Pizza Guy, because he gets all the jokes. Didn't fucking want to deal with that. Guess what I'm fucking dealing with now? I didn't want to deal with the stress of memorizing all those lines, especially because Joe has a lengthy angry monologue, and also directing a huge fucking cast over the course of two weeks. I wanted to just write the movie and direct the movie, and that's what I said going into Carousel. I just wanted to focus on directing the movie, especially because on Captain Z, the producer also forced me to be Glenn in Captain Z. I did not want to act in that movie, either. I was hired to write and direct, and then I handed him the script, and he said, oh, great, you're gonna be Glenn. Fuck! (laughs) Um... So so uh, when I was doing Carousel, I was like, okay, no, not going to act in this one, not going to act in this one. So I wrote it. I just I wrote the character of Joe just because that sort of character makes me laugh. You know, I like Ernest. Yeah. Joe is somewhat earnest in that sort yeah. of, like, genre. Um, and then I, you know, my co-writer, Aline Isley, said, oh, man, you're perfect for Joe. You should be Joe. And I said, not going to fucking be Joe. Not acting in this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> cinematographer and editor Scott Lewis read the script and said you know Steve you've got to be Joe it's like, I don't want to fucking be Joe I just want to direct the movie I don't want to act in the movie and then the producer who was financing the whole film and otherwise being completely hands off creatively and just trusting us to make whatever movie we wanted said you have to be Joe and I went fuck can't, <laughs> I can't tell the guy handing you a, a five figure check no yeah, so I became yeah. Joe. Now, granted, <laughs> yeah. a lot of people love Joe and think I'm one of the best parts of the movie, which yes. co- I... It's a bittersweet feeling, you know, because, like, I want all these other cast members to get that love, but at the same time, I guess the producer was right.
1: <laughs>
3: it's funny because you say, like, how you your energy is, like, you didn't want anything to do with that film. You do not want to be in it. It's funny because Joe's character was just, like, I don't even want to fucking be here. I just want to live this fucking pizza. I just want to take
2: care of my fucking cat and get out of here. You know, so it's funny. That was I all that <laughs> Yeah, it was very, very identified. Yeah.
0: You ad-libbed all that shit in. You,
1: you, it's okay.
2: <laughs> no, really, it was. It was all written. That is one thing I do want to say because I, I never ever care when people just don't like my movies. Let me say that right now. Like, if people don't like it, whatever. It's subjective. Everyone's different. But there's oh, yeah. little things that get under my skin, such as people thinking that I gave myself all the best lines. And I would like to officially say, Joe was written before I was forced to be in the fucking movie. Everything that I say right. was on that page. I just That's that's just one of my lines in the sand. That's all I want to clarify.
0: <laughs> you heard it on this podcast. There it is. T V D hard. <laughs> he said it.
2: Whether you like or hate Joe, it was going to be the same no matter who played Joe.
0: We'll make that into a sound clip, and we'll post it, just so everybody knows.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Steve, uh, Steve can, I, can I ask you a, a carousel-specific question?
2: Absolutely.
1: Was Preston ever going to give you the money? <laughs> if if uh, Preston but, didn't get killed off, what, were you ever going to get paid that night?
2: Yes, I do believe uh, in okay. my heart as the creator... <laughs> <laughs> that yes, Preston was finally going to give me the money after that moment until he saw um, you know, the French Exchange students dead.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Alright, that makes me feel a little bit better. I, yes. I was hoping he was gonna get his money. He was he right. was
2: also gonna kick he was truthfully gonna kick him the extra twenty as well. I still think Joe would have been fired because he had been at this party for hours. Yeah. <laughs> but he would have finally gotten paid for these yeah. pizzas.
1: All right, that's good. Good deal, good deal. I like it.
0: So uh, if we're talking about Karis Hell, one thing that really stands out in that film is the special effects. Um, some of the kill scenes are actually like super well done. Uh, and I, I I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, wow. Uh, I mean, the obviously the unicorn holding the bow and arrow, but the kills themselves, I was like, you are a special effects wizard. Who did that? That, that was, was amazing.
2: All of that was Cody Rook, and that is a man that we interviewed and hired first, very early on, before pretty much anyone else for *Care's Hell*. Back when we had our first failed Indiegogo, and we couldn't make Uh-oh. the movie because originally we were going to make *Care's Hell* in like 2015, and that didn't yeah. happen because the uh, the crowdfunding completely failed. Uh, we got just enough to get the horse because the horse by itself was like 1,200 bucks. And then painted ourselves, you know, Elaine Isley did the paint on that because otherwise it was just like a solid mold of a, whole, of a carousel horse. Um, so we were like, oh, we can make a short and then try to do another craft fun in a year or something. So we worked with Cody on a couple of things just to work with him to do something together. So he also did the effects on Red Christmas. Um, Great. You know, he also did the uh, werewolf makeup in The Survivors for Wolfster. And then when we finally got the uh, producer for Carousel, we called. We immediately, of course, mm-hmm. we were like, All right, Cody, Carousel's happening, so show on up. And finally, he also did design uh, Gary the Demon Dog in Meowy Halloween. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but yeah, so, and with Cody, he was one of the, he, like, there was things in the movie that he made better. You know, the, the Pez dispenser kill, um, in the script, that was just the head gets kicked off and Cody went out of his way to make it even better. And he did that for almost every kill, I'd say. You know, we gave him, I, I gave him his money and said, whatever you can do with this, do it. I don't care. And then when we were on set, I went out of my way. He, you know, he asked if he could help with the camera a little bit because he knows where it needs to look simply because he's been on sets where he has done amazing effects, and they shoot it in a way that you see fucking none of it. And that really, like, disappointed him and made him really upset because he put so much effort into the... He still got paid, but, like, he put all that work into the effect that didn't get shown on screen at all. So on Carousel, I looked at Cody and said, Hey, Cody, you direct these scenes, because you know what they have to fucking look like. I don't. I'm I'm directing the actors, but direct the effects. And I think that is a very substantial reason why they look so good is because Cody was basically the one calling the shots in terms of how the shots needed to look for the effects in addition to to his own skills of making the effects.
0: That's, That's awesome.
3: awesome. So uh, any, any chance in the future we can get a rematch between Cowboy uh, Cool and uh, Duke?
2: Uh, Cowboy Cool <laughs> is dead. That is canon. That is official. Cowboy Cool is gone. However, he was one of twenty-six mascot characters tasked with hunting Ooh. down these Nazi weapons. So you might meet someone else in the future. Okay. Being a general oh. or admiral of some type. Or even someone oh, new in training.
0: Are you dropping yeah.
2: it right now? Is that yes. What I'm here? Yes.
0: <laughs> I fucking love it. Um I actually wanted to ask you about Red Christmas, cause uh Um, it was actually like super brutal. Uh, it was, it was a rough film. And then there was the scene where she was, um, she was doing the dead guy. And, uh, Oh, what, what was it? The song was playing in the background. Uh, uh, it was a Christmas song. I think it was Christ is born, but I am not. I
2: think so offhand. I'm going to be honest. I have not seen red Christmas like straight through in a few years either. So I couldn't tell you immediately offhand.
0: So I remember watching and I'm like, oh, my God, like, holy shit, this is fucked up. And uh, yeah, I got like super excited about it. Can you tell me how, like, what inspired you to do that? Because it, it was a really twisted film. The torture was twisted. And then at the end, uh, at the, the twist ending, I was like, what? It was such a great film. Uh, wow. Can you just tell me anything about that?
2: I mean, I appreciate that because I don't like that movie. So it's always nice to hear people that do. Um, and, like, I don't like that movie because I don't like found footage movies, but I wanted to see what it was like to make one. You know, I wanted to mm-hmm. test myself. Um, uh, uh, to walk you through, like, the origins of that, it's basically Hollow uh, Notes Maneater came on, and I was like, oh, Maneater, I should make a movie about some woman that eats men. And that that was, like, the initial little, like, fairy dust. And then I worked from there, I was like, you know what, I haven't made, at that point, I was like, I haven't made a Christmas movie yet. I should make a Christmas horror film. Aw, oh, man, but I don't have much money. I know, I'll make it a cast of, like, three people and make it a found footage movie. I could shoot that in two days. I could make that for 500 bucks, and then I'll have a new movie for the convention market in 2015, because we aren't going to be able to make Keris Hell since the Kickstarter failed. So I came up, first I came up with, like, titles. I was just like, uh, Dead for the Holidays. Uh, not bad. You know, I had a list of, like, 30 names. But Red Christmas stuck out, and then I Googled it. I was just like, wait a second. No one has fucking made a movie called Red Christmas yet? I need to make a movie called Red Christmas first. And I did. I beat those other motherfuckers in Australia by a year. And now forever on IMDb, I got Red Christmas Roman numeral one, bitch. (laughs) A significant number of movies that I've made has simply been because no one has made a movie with the title that I thought of. Like how, how? has no one made a movie called Everyone Must Die? Guess I have to make a movie called Everyone Must Die. No one has used a Meowie Christmas for a film. What? With a billion talking animal movies, no one has done this. Guess it's up to me. Um. So settled on Red Christmas and the found footage thing again. Like I'm not a fan of that genre. I'm not a fa- I'm not a fan of like um. Um torture horror. So I kind of wanted to just test myself as a creator and see what it was like to make my own movie which was both found footage and torture horror and see what it's like but I kind of I wanted it to be a little bit more than that especially as a, if it's a found footage with a small small cast I needed to really focus on the killer and again like I think Lady antagonist is way more fun and interesting than all of the dude antagonists that I usually see in films. So I very early on decided that the killer would be a woman, and I thought it'd be cool to kind of get into, like, the mindset and do a lot of research on, like, what would a sadist be like? Why does she make the choices that she makes, and why is she doing the things that she's doing? And I was like, okay, I got it. She just wants to fuck dead men... Because if it's a control thing, and everything else that she's doing is just to make the FBI think that it's a fucking sadist, even though she's not into that at all, so she would not match whatever profile that they're building on this person.
0: Yeah, that was. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of found footage. That is Dave's genre. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that it was. It was so well told uh, that I actually I really liked it. So oh, it was good, that, I'm and another one I really liked was the last horror movie, uh, which was the same principle with a guy. Uh, who it, it was also found footage. Okay, yeah. Um, so it was you, Red Christmas and the Last Horror Movie were the only two really that really were uniquely done. Uh, I thought it was uniquely done, even if you didn't like it. I like it, so thank you. <laughs> well,
2: I appreciate. No, I appreciate that. Like, several people have come up to me to even say that, like, that's their favorite movie. Of mine. And like, that's still a big deal. Like, even if I'm not a fan of it myself, the yeah. fact that someone else is, that's kind of the point, right? Like, how subjective yeah. things are, and, you know, a couple of my things that I really like, other people don't like, or like my favorite Maui isn't someone else's favorite Maui. So I think that sort of thing yeah. is cool. I like hearing from people when they like the stuff that I'm not necessarily a big enough fan of. Because even, again, I don't like the genre. Um, I thought it could have been put together a little bit better, but at the same time, since I don't, like, found footage, I made very conscious decisions of, like, okay, um, but it's going to be a video diary so that we can have a lot of shots on a tripod instead of that shaky bullshit the entire time. And little decisions like that or like, really wanted to get into the psychological, the psychological aspect of this woman and, like, what she's been through in life, because that's way more interesting than just more stabbing, at least to me. And Amy Wren nailed it. I thought she's an amazing actress, and she fucking nailed that part. And she's also the voice of my cat in the Meowie movie, so she is in all of my Christmas movies. That's awesome. (laughs) Not planned, but she had the best auditions for both characters. I
0: don't know if you're aware, but uh, I looked it up, and there's no Meowie Thanksgiving. I'm just putting that out there.
2: Uh, We referenced the events of Thanksgiving in Meowie 3.
0: I haven't, I haven't gotten that far. I watched, uh, what did I watch? I think I watched the Christmas and then I watched the Halloween. Um, and I haven't gotten to the other thing, but you have a streaming service, um, that I, I, I haven't gotten around to getting to yet. Uh, but I'm, do you still have the streaming service?
2: Yes. In fact, uh, for, for the rest of like the next few days for the next week is the last of the cyber Monday sale where for 15 bucks, you get six months. Oh, that's awesome. Um, And it's stevebuster.com. It is independent streaming directly from the creator. Everything is unlisted YouTube videos so you can save everything and keep it forever if you want, even after you unsubscribe. It has all of my movies. It has a couple movies from other filmmakers that simply wanted to be part of the service. It has all of my bonus features from all the physical releases, except for the commentaries. But all the the behind-the-scenes stuff, all the shorts, Um, everything. We're up to, like, 23 hours worth of content, plus stuff that hasn't been physically available for a while, plus some exclusive stuff that was shot just for Steve Buster. And it is, again, right now, it's usually... $4.99 4.99 a month is the regular price. If you buy it in a bundle, it is 2.99 a month. But as I said, right now for the next week, uh, since it's was Cyber Monday, we're doing a sale yeah. for a couple of weeks. For six months, it's 15 bucks total. And as we start filming Carousel Two, we're going to be putting a lot of behind the scenes stuff from Carousel Two onto Steve Buster exclusively.
3: Cool. Yeah, that's cool. So that's, that's cool. a.
2: If you wanted to watch all of my films but didn't want to buy 11 DVDs, which I understand. For two ninety nine a month, you can watch them all on Steve Buster, you know, via unlisted YouTube videos. Watch them on your TV, bookmark them, do whatever you want with them. That's the best way to support me other than buying physical because, you know, Prime pays one penny an hour streamed.
1: Yeah. yeah. So
2: Steve Buster is the preferred way over Prime.
1: Understandable, understandable for sure. So, go ahead, Josh.
0: I, I was just going to say, do you know what the payout for Tubi is? Because you said some of your stuff's on Tubi now, too. It
2: is higher, but I don't know exactly what the payout is until I actually get the first payout in, like, six months or something. But oh. ba- but based on the insights, like, Tubi picked up Everyone Must Die for some reason, and I gave that movie no advertising, no marketing. I just mentioned on Facebook, like, hey, guys, Everyone Must Die is on Tubi. Neat, I guess. Because mm-hmm. it's from 2012. Um, and, like, again prime pays like a penny per hour streamed and i don't know how many people watched everyone must die but in one month with no advertising at all it made like 75 dollars damn right so it's much better than prime by comparison again with no marketing no advertising so i'll be trying to aim for tubi when we do eventually get carousel 2 finished and released i'm going to see if i can get it onto tubi directly myself and actually
1: yeah, yeah. push it and see kind of what happens with that. Yeah, just I, just to point out something positive with Prime though, it is it did really like push Kara's Hell out there like that every time I would log in and I don't know if it's just because of other movies that I watched, but I wasn't really watching other unicorn uh, killer <laughs> movies. But it, every time I would go there, I would see that poster art, and then um, you know. So Josh is our. Um, He's our guy that like recommends all the Zany movies. So like that was, you know, Josh's big one for, for a month. he was pushing that on me and Brandon to watch. And I had just seen it so many times that it really did like stand out. So, you know, at least the advertising and getting the word out there was, was successful, I feel like, through Prime. Um, oh, I mean, even if the payout's Prime, not as good.
2: Prime does help with that, but it's still just that case of like between the payouts and the fact that they will just slash so much of a, of their library without warning without recourse, without reasoning. It's just, you can't depend on Prime like one used to. Even when they paid four cents per hour stream, that was still far more dependable as an actual income stream. Mm. Whereas with this, it's so much more up in the air between how low it is and again, how they will just cut a movie off. And it's not just low budget stuff. It's like, there's plenty of stuff I saw that was like made with six figures that has A-list actors that was being streamed for hundreds of thousands of minutes a month, and that still got taken down with no reasons given. Meanwhile, sure. Red Christmas is fucking still on there, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's no rhyme or reason. That's the, that's the bad thing with Prime. It's... It, yeah. It's better than sub. Uh, it's better than other streaming options because they actually do let like, creators submit to them directly. Still, even if you might not be there forever and you get axed in a year or two, you still can get access to that audience without having to deal with the distributor middleman. Without having to like do this festival circuit and hope that Netflix or Amazon buys your movie. Like you can just submit it and advertise it, and people look it up, and it's there. And that is huge that is huge it is substantial it is important i just wish that they could do better or even at least revert to how good they used to be a few years ago before it seems like they were just using indies to pad out their library and now that they're getting the bigger studio deals they don't need the indies anymore so they're just throwing them away
1: yeah
3: awesome so um are you still working on marvel content at this time
2: at with this time, pandemic? no, with the pandemic, no. What? Like, I already talked to my bosses, and they outright said, like, they're counting 2020 as a wash. They'll just see where we're at in 2021 before we start booking more gigs and, like, talking to clients again and starting to get us back out there. So I had one gig as Spider-Man in January. It was a good gig. made mm-hmm. a lot of money for not a lot of work, and that's what I love about Marvel. <laughs> and I've done nothing since.
0: Aren't you the number one Spider-Man?
2: Um, to my knowledge, unless That's they're lying, unless the they're lying to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's, uh, other than Spider Man, favorite comic book superhero?
2: Um, I mean, Wally West, without question. The Flash. Um, then uh-huh. I'm a big Superman fan. Uh, big fan of Captain Marvel, as in Shazam. Captain Marvel.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, like the Cap- 40s Shazam or.
2: I mean, for even the modern version, I just mean I still call him Captain Marvel because that's what I grew up with his name being. Yeah. Um. uh, I actually like Moon Knight a lot. Really? Yeah. um, Was not that? Yeah, he's a really fun character, and uh, I used to be a bigger fan of Green Lantern, but ever since Grant Morrison started writing the character again. It yeah. has not been at all my cup of tea, so I've fallen out of Green Lantern a bit. I still love the mythology and the different Lantern Corps, and I love Kyle and Guy, but overall, like it, Green Lantern went from like up here to like he definitely dropped several levels.
0: Yeah. But if, but if I, I had to whip it,
2: out like a, a handful of my favorites, I'd say that's a fair list.
0: So my wedding ring—I don't know if you can see it here—it's—it's uh, it's an M. My wife's name is Miranda. But it's also half a Green Lantern symbol. Nice. In case we get forced, I can just fill
2: it in. Finish it. She,
0: she let me do that, so she's pretty awesome.
2: That's cool. That's cool. Yeah,
0: she was pretty badass. So uh, you, you got to be to be married to me. Um, yeah, I feel the same about Green Lantern. So it's funny. I thought I was the only one. Uh, that's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, like, the, I, uh, and it's not even like the current like comic run isn't even bad. I'm just bored. You know what I mean? Like. I used to read Green Lantern, even after Jeff Johns got off the book. I forget who took over, like um, in like early Rebirth and what have you. Even, but even after Jeff Johns, I was still like, okay, yeah, this is still fun. And ever since Grant took it back over, I'm just like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> whatever <laughs> the hell weird shit you're doing this month, Grant. <laughs> That's
3: awesome. I. <laughs> I, I
0: the, uh, I'm a little surprised by Moon Knight um, I was a big fan of Werewolf by Night I love mm-hmm. that series and that's where Moon Knight originated yes. um, and he had some pretty solid stories in there and then when I went to read uh, some stuff with him later on I was like this is not really the same character um, and I got a little disappointed so I didn't read any more of his stuff
2: Moon Knight um, is you know, definitely a character where very much is a coin flip depending on who's writing there are yeah, that's... good, there are really good runs and there are really bad runs um, but uh, I can at least still appreciate his concept as a character and his suit is awesome
0: yeah he does look badass huh?
3: exactly
0: <laughs> The um, and then I, I kind of wanted to ask you I saw um, uh, somebody in the back and was that your wife in, in the back uh, you're married yes. right?
2: yes that was
0: all of your films correct?
2: no not all of them
0: uh, what? Uh, most of them, like Super yeah. Task Force. Well, she, w-
2: she was in Super Task Force again because that was a passion project, and I was like, oh, you're going to be in this, Aline. Um, <laughs> everyone and she must- was like, I
0: don't want to act, and you're like, you have to.
2: No, she was super into it. She loves acting way oh, more cool. than me. Um, She auditioned for Everyone Must Die and got it. She auditioned for Captain Z, and the producer chose her.
0: Oh, wow, that's awesome. Not
2: me. Um, and then she was like, I don't want to be in Carousel, and I was like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, but she auditioned to be in carousel the second and she is the lead antagonist of carousel the second
1: oh that's cool. awesome
0: how is it working with your wife uh, all right wait i don't know if you want to answer that uh with your wife around because i wouldn't answer that with my wife around but
2: uh, i mean for the most part fine uh sometimes she grates on my fucking nerves because she knows how to do that, she knows what to do. But at the same time, she also knows how to calm me down and help me relax a bit.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Um,
2: but otherwise, it's—I mean—it's not too much different from just working with anyone else on set. You know, like it, the relationship has nothing to do with like how oh. I'm directing or how she would be acting. And the same goes for any relationship on that I have with others on set or would have in the future. Other relationships or friendships or what have you, it's it, it's still as professional as an independent film set can be. So definitely, no one has any um, no one has any hierarchy except that Scott and I are making the fucking decisions here.
3: <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Um, is there is there anything you want to drop about Carousel Two?
2: I mean, what what do you want to
0: know? Oh, I want to know everything. I want to know the storyline. I want to know who's in it. I want to know uh, what happens. Like, I can't wait.
2: Okay, um, well, uh, coming on Steve Buster next month will be a full cast read-through of Carousel II oh. of oh, shit. the whole script. So, if you want to know the oh. plot of Carousel II before we even start shooting... Gotta sign up for Steve Buster, baby. All
1: right, all right, and let's um, let's refer him back to this uh Cyber Monday deal that's ending right.
2: Six months for fifteen dollars. It's actually fourteen dollars and ninety-seven cents, but who's counting?
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, all right, that's quite but the deal. I, but I can still at least say the idea of Carousel second is fatherhood.
3: Fatherhood, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause when it ended, I seen the baby, so yep.
2: Uh, I was have, like, all right. So the plot of Carousel II is that Duke finds out that he is a father, (laughs) and tries to figure out what that means, and meets his son, Robbie, and is just trying to learn how to be a good father and be part of his son's life. At the same time, the Nazis who created Duke are tracking him down because he's the one (laughs) weapon that went rogue back during World War II.
0: That is so awesome. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. Uh,
2: So it's 50% killing Nazis, 50% raising an adorable unicorn boy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That that actually made me, like, reminds me of something I wanted to ask you. Um, So I don't think I would have been satisfied with the film had the child not been murdered in the end. Um, that was like, as he was walking out of the, out of the party, out of the house, I was like, he's really gonna, he's gonna make it, isn't he? And then he's like walking down the road and, you know, the car scene happens. Um, like, what was your thoughts behind that? Like, was there a chance you were going to let him get away with being the world's most annoying kid?
2: There was no chance that he was surviving the film, (laughs) but it was important to me as a fan of pro wrestling that I wanted to be in the screenings and have the audience be booing the movie as he walks away from the party okay. and then explode in cheers when he gets fucking demolished by a car.
1: So that was all very intentional. The fact yes. that like, everything I experienced while watching that was intentional.
2: Exactly intentional. And it keeps on happening, and now it keeps making me so happy. Yeah. Except what, one, time, on another podcast, three people watched the movie... One of them loved it, the other one was like, eh. But the one person was, like, not into it and just turned the movie off and the kid walked away and had no fucking idea what the other two were talking about And they kept on talking about how great it was that the kid died. Yeah. It's just like, that's what you get when you can't fucking finish it. Yeah. You, don't get, you don't get your reward. You don't get your cookie. <laughs> that's awesome.
3: Yeah, I love that the ending of it. It kind of reminded me of uh, Toxic Avenger, you know, oh, you know yeah. with the whole car scene, so... <laughs>
2: yeah i I really wanted that because again like i like the idea of just like oh no he's gonna make the kid live well of course the kid's gonna live it's a kid they don't kill kids in these movies just kidding fuck this kid
1: I'm, i'm sure he's a pleasant young man is is he or is he his character um, yeah. I love it. Thank you for thank you for answering
2: it. Uh, no, he's not as bad as the actual character. The thing that was actually accurate to the character is that he would not stop fucking eating.
1: Oh yeah, like
2: that was written for the character before we ever cast this kid, and then when we got to set, we we're like, Jesus fucking Christ, please stop, please stop. Awesome. He was That's so awesome. excited to eat a pizza cheese sandwich, he finished that whole thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Um yeah, going when we were when Aline and I were writing Carousel the second, that's one of the first things that like I stated. And like she wasn't disagreeing at any point, but like that was one of the things that I put down in stone. Just like the first movie was about a kid that everyone wanted to die. For Carousel the second, I want this to be about a kid where anyone that hurts him, everyone wants them to die.
1: Okay. Because they like All the right. kid
2: that much.
0: Oh cool. Right. That's, that's reverse right.
2: Yeah, that's I, I like to I like to do shit like that. Like I keep I keep I do keep on saying it. Um, I don't know how often I'll be saying it over the course of the next couple of years as like we make actually make and release this. But I don't want to just in the first in this trilogy of Carousel. If there's a third, that's an if because we have to see how two actually performs and how people enjoy it. But at mm-hmm. no point did I want to make a Carousel two or a Carousel three where it's just now Duke is mad at someone else and he's killing this house full of people. To me, I wanted every film to actually be a progression of Duke's character, uh, learning about himself, learning his place in the world, and what that means. I actually wanted important differences and progression throughout these, what would be these three films, because it would have been so easy for Carousel, for us to make Carousel 2, like two years ago, and have it just be like, oh, someone threw a can out their window and hit Duke in the face, and now Duke kills 20 more people, but to me, that's boring. So that's why Carousel II is going to be an interesting sell, because I think that it has all of the same levels of like humor and weirdness and quirkiness, and also kills. There are less of them, simply because the budget's a little lower, but the kills will be just as good. But at the same time, if people that want horror sequels to just be the same movie, except in a different location... I do think that they actually will end up not liking Carousel II as much because of that. Because this is not just Duke goes to a house of people and kills a house of people. This is Duke is learning how to become a fucking father while he fights black magic Nazis that are immortal. And then if there's a third one, again, it's going to be different again. Because then the third one is going to be an inverse revenge story. And he's going to be meeting other objects that existed since World War II
0: that's so badass thanks for the storyline i yeah. love it
2: yeah you're welcome uh, now after that i'll i'll fucking go nuts i don't care after that i'll do random bullshit sequels of carousel if they keep making money but at least for the first three i wanted yeah. to be a very like a very specific story about duke because to me duke is the protagonist of the series
1: steve um when we, so Josh does a weekly post where he puts two um, characters against each other and has people vote on who th- who's going to win. And that's actually um, sort of what kind of linked uh, this podcast was because Josh had put up Duke versus uh, Lamageddon. Yes. And I believe you demanded a recount. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, it is a voter fraud. Uh, we are not stopping. I, I have all of my lawyers in every state fighting this. I will not accept this. This is not a loss. We won. Duke won. It's just
1: clearly. clearly. It's just
2: getting I, I, the courts see, to understand.
0: I saw your rally in the parking lot. I saw it.
1: I was. Yep,
2: absolutely. Sixty-four thousand people. No restrictions. No masks. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: Just people being dudes. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so Steve, have you seen uh, Lama Getin and films like that and yes. like kind of, what are some of your favorites of this, like, of this kind of genre?
2: A huge fan of Jack Frost and Aline will agree with me on that. Love okay. Jack Frost. Okay. Jack, Jack Frost and Ginger Dead Man were Aline's biggest inspirations, I'd say. That's awesome. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think Lamageddon's a lot of fun. I haven't seen Killer Sofa yet. Um, Duke v. Killer Pinata, Dawn of Equine is something that's being talked about as a short. Woo! Uh, so that might be a thing that happens. That might be a a soft sequel to Carousel II, but comes Ooh. out before Carousel II. Still need to work oh. on the details of that. But I'm the director of Antosh for that crossover.
1: Oh, that's awesome!
0: That's awesome. I, lo- I love it when they do that stuff. Uh, so I started the Horror Icon Throwdown years and years ago on another page, um, and it got a lot of traction. And I started doing it. Uh, now a lot of people do it, but I love I love it when they do it in a real movie. So that's super exciting, um, especially because it's Killer Pinata. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. It's a- that's badass.
2: I mean, I'm a fan of monster versus monster movies in general for my whole life. Sign me up for anyone versus anyone. I will be there.
0: Here, here's a question that Dave usually asks about the throwdown. If Who would be a good fit for Duke?
2: You mean in a direct fight?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Hmm.
2: I mean, here's the problem with Duke is that he is basically magic. He just doesn't understand his abilities yet. So he is, uh, once he reaches his peak of knowing what the fuck he can do with his literal connection to eldritch horrors that humanity cannot comprehend, uh, he could be taking on any of those levels of similar uh, villains like Pinhead or reality benders like Wishmaster or even the Leprechaun um, because once Duke reaches that point, Duke can do whatever Duke wants to. He just doesn't realize it yet.
0: Awesome. I might have been fishing around for ideas, so when part two comes out, I already have some throwdowns in the work. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: he, he is killing Nazis, so you could use uh, the Puppet Master team.
0: Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, that's like badass that. right there. I like it. Yeah. cool. Yeah.
1: Hey, um, Steve, so I, I have a, a question and a request. Um, okay. And it might. I hope that this doesn't totally abruptly end this conversation um, as we're <laughs> in a fit of rage. But I wanted to point out uh, there was a blooper or, um, in, or there was a goof in the film. And I wanted to point it out and I want to make, make a request for your next film. So uh, when the, with the foreign exchange students, Duke says, I've already penetrated two people this night. What about one more? But then he gouges her throat out and doesn't penetrate her as far as I am aware. Can we get a triple penetration in the next film?
2: <laughs> in the next film, no. But maybe ah, the right, triple right. penetration in three.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that.
2: Yes. He, Duke, I, Duke had his line, but he got overzealous, was going for the foreplay before the penetration, knows ladies <laughs> like next stuff. He just got too into it.
1: It it was actually one of my favorite kills, um, just because I love the the camera angle when you see like the side of the throat and you oh, you know good. you Thank see you. all the gores. So I I liked that kill, but I was like, wait a minute, that, he didn't actually penetrate. <laughs> <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> uh
0: For me, the sex scene—that's how I sell the movie to people who have not seen or heard of the movie. Uh, <laughs> and, I, it,
2: and it is important cool. to point out that the sex scene is cut from Prime and Tubi. It is only on the DVD or on Stevebuster com.
0: I love it. More just, so I'll be on Stevebuster.com as soon as we're done. <laughs> 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 uh
2: yeah, I, so I, have yeah. you have you only seen it on Prime or Tubi like recently, like in the past year? Yeah.
0: yeah you ever that's had the physical copy? Um, before it started coming up in everybody's feed, uh, I had um, looked for it i think i don't know beginning of the year maybe maybe even last year uh i i always look for those kind of movies um and i what i do is i type in the year every year so all the new movies come up and that Mm -hmm. was one of i just thumbed through to see what i would like and uh that one where i was like oh oh my god Yeah, so So uh, that's the only
2: way that you've seen the film. Yeah, the the sex scene between Sarah and Duke is like two minutes long, and they're in multiple positions of fucking.
0: That's great. (laughs) I got to see it now. Um, How was that to film?
2: (laughs) It was a blast. Uh, Haley J. Madison is a goddamn professional. She's hilarious. You know, she's used to having weird fun on sets for horror films or photo shoots, so, like, I knew working with her would be a breeze. Uh, it was just I Scott on camera, uh, Josh on um, audio because Josh and Haley knew each other. He's who played Pierre in the film. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So I just had him do audio, even though he was acting. But since they were knew each other already, and have been friends for years, it's less awkward having that sort of person in the room at the same time. Cool. And Aline was there for lights. I was on unicorn duty, so I had all of Duke on my shoulder, thrusting. <laughs> into this girl until I started saying she get the fucking shot I can't anymore
3: (laughs) so it's funny right because uh, myself and Dave you know we always bust Josh up about uh, low budget horror and it's funny because now over the last few years that we have known him it's like me and Dave we find ourselves like enjoying these films you know and so we would always just kind of have that you know i wouldn't watch that film and then now it's like we're given the chance and so i like i said i always respect anyone that's going to sit there and try to make a film because i know it's not easy mm-hmm. but you know it's you know like it's you know it's cool that we can enjoy this film and you see there's always a crowd <clears throat> for this type of project and so you know i want to say congratulations you know on all your success and um thanks Josh for opening me and Dave's eyes and just <laughs> yeah. showing us another side of horror because you would just always think like growing up, it's just always that commercial, like straight to the theater, you know? And, and now like over the years, me and Dave just been going into indie films and everything like that. So, you know, like we definitely can appreciate all horror at the this podcast. That's what makes us different from everyone else.
2: I mean, I, I appreciate that, Brandon. Those are very kind words. Thank you for like the, the Congratulations, mm. it is It is definitely a thing to make these movies especially for as long as I've been doing it and as many as yeah. I've made um, Also, special shout out for saying the words I know it's not easy to make a movie because whenever mm. I see someone else saying like, you can tell they were just having fun I want to punch them in the fucking face <laughs> yeah. a, It is a fucking nightmare Even the best set is a goddamn nightmare of yeah. stress and insanity and the best part of making a movie is when it's fucking done So many times have I been on sets where they're just like, hey, when's the cast party? I'm like, you fucking have your own fucking cast party. I don't want to see any of you motherfuckers again until the premiere.
1: (laughs) I love it. Yeah.
2: I need to go either lock myself in a room with a lot of whiskey to edit this fucking shit, or I need to pay Scott Lewis to lock himself in a room with a lot of whiskey to edit this piece of shit, while I come in once in a while and be like, hey, you're not setting the movie on fire right scott all right looks good i'm going to go <laughs> but it's it's very it's very very hard it is like it yeah. relatively speaking it's easy for me simply because i've done it so much and like there's a lot of things that like people will ask me for advice like oh how do you do this and it's so hard for me to explain it because it just kind of happens for me yeah. like when people have asked like oh can you give me advice on how to do the budget And then when I actually tried to sit down to explain how to do it, I had no words just because I've done it like 10 times now. And like, I just kind of guess exactly what I need based on how I know I shoot and how I work on set and how long this is going to take and how much we spend that it's easy for me to be like, okay, I'm going to need this much for the cast because we're going to shoot this many days. I'm going to need this much for the food because we have this many cast members on each day. And it's super quick but it's also not a skill everyone should have like it's it's it doesn't make me any better i just mean Mm -hmm. if this shit was easy everyone would do it and instead i talk to way more people that say yeah i've been working on one script for 10 years and i'm sitting on a pile of films being like fucking do something
3: No,
2: i don't care what it doesn't have to be good (laughs) fucking do something if that's what you want to do if you don't that's fine But otherwise, Mm -hmm. shit or get off the pods.
3: Yeah. I think it's cool that you challenge yourself and come up with all different types of uh, scenarios. Because it's like Hollywood's just doing remakes, you know? Mm -hmm. Taking the same films and doing it over and over again, you know? To the point where your average horror fan is kind of just getting tired of the the same thing, you know? So it's cool that you guys open that platform to just anything goes, you know? So...
2: Well, that's one of the things that's important to me. Like, I mean, my favorite version of horror is fun, weird horror. Mm-hmm. So, like, some people have said, man, I wish Carousel took itself seriously, and my response is "Then the movie wouldn't exist. Yeah. No, like, no, that's no. not the point of what I do. If you want serious, that's fine. Well, we don't do that here. Yeah, no. Um, you know, like, we, that is not what I make. That's not what I enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. And in terms of, like, doing completely different stuff, that's a decision I made all the way back on, like, Super Task Force 1. Or like Alright was like saying, like I know that as of right now, and that's changed, honestly, thanks to streaming, even though it pays a lot less, but thanks to streaming, horror is not the only way for me as an independent filmmaker to make money, like it used to be in the 90s and early 2000s. So I thought it would be a good idea to diversify the entire genres that I do. In addition to my super fucking weird horror, and even all of my horrors are different... But mm-hmm. to do, like, a tokuzatsu, do the talking cat stuff, do a weird team crossover parody movie for no reason, like, just do different stuff, because then hopefully someone that doesn't like independent horror might like Super Task Force, which would at least lead them into trying out the Meowie movies or trying out Kara's Hell, or vice versa. Someone, you know, I actually absolutely 100% have fans of mine that love my R-rated horror that wanted to show their kids something by me, and now a Meowy mm-hmm. Halloween gives them that opportunity. And I, I've had so many people come up to me be like, I've and outright say, like, I'm so glad you made these cat movies, because now I can show my kids independent movies that I couldn't do before, because they're all, you know, tits and gore and blood, and don't get me wrong, I started on tits and gore and blood when I was three, but not everyone is the same. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, so I like, I like being able to give those options as narcissistic as that sounds. I do have a diverse library in terms of how do I feel today? Steve Rozinski probably has something for you. <laughs> nice.
0: uh, that, that leads into one of my uh, last questions, actually. How does that, like, how does it feel to know that you are like a cult movie hero at this point?
2: I do not agree with that statement at all. I don't think I'm anywhere close to that. Um, I am nowhere near known enough, uh, good enough, or earned that title enough, in my opinion, to be called a cult hero. But I will say the carousel has blown up a lot in the past couple of years. I will say that a lot more people know my name than I ever expected to know my name. And it is cool and um, humbling. It comes off very interestingly, because there's a lot of times where I will just uh, be talking to someone that I know somebody, or work with somebody, or hung out with someone at a convention, because we were both guests at a convention, and that other person is just like, oh, that's one of my heroes, I grew up watching them, and... To me, it was just like, oh, Doug and I just got coffee and complain about this one weird dude that kept talking to us for twenty fucking minutes. I <laughs> forgot that he's Doug Bradley fucking pinhead and people have grown yeah. up watching this God. that's not yeah, what my life is, and that's what makes takes that's the humbling part where I go like, Wow, sometimes my life is cool. Like sometimes I'm actually doing all this cool shit that I always wanted to do and now I'm just doing it. And to me, it's no big deal because it's just my life and my career and what I do to pay for my house and groceries.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: it's my job, and it's really, really fucking cool. So I will, I will be selfish and say that I hope that continues growing. I hope that the buzz that Carousel One has gotten really helps push Carousel the Second a lot further. I hope that, like, Carousel II gets as much love and as much feedback and even more new people discovering it. And then we can use that as, uh, like, jet fuel to keep going with even more ideas. You know, we, again, like, we do have, Aline and I, we have story ideas for Carousel III, which I don't want to bother writing a script until I know we're actually going to make it. Okay, yeah. Um, but Bill Murphy has also been pitching a very brutal <laughs> horror idea uh, that I may be talking him into making into a musical, but that's still up for discussion. Uh, will you be out? <laughs> preferably no, preferably not, because I cannot sing. So if I'm in that, Steve Oboird's my composer will be my singing voice. I'm telling. I'm going to announce that right now because it ain't going to be me. <laughs>
0: that's awesome. I can't sing worth a shit, but I sing on this podcast like all the time.
2: Fantastic!
0: <laughs> I hate it. I hate it with a passion. Uh, not that I do it on purpose, guys. I'm just saying. <laughs> 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 the uh, that it brings me to one of my other questions. Uh, Doug Bradley was actually in one of your films, and um, I w- uh, I had heard that you guys were friendly, um, and I was like, wow, that's really interesting, because the guy that made Karis Hell is friends with Thinhead. You yep. know, and, uh, um, how did that happen? Like you just met at a convention? Is that a, like, you just... No, I,
2: we both acted in screen park first. That's oh, where okay. we first met. We acted on screen park together. It was the first thing that was shot for the film. I was the only person that got to act with Doug and we clicked immediately and just started joking around and having a good time and poking fun at some stuff, poking fun at each other, poking fun at the scene. Um, and just had a really good time. And then whenever we've run into each other at a convention since, we just kept doing that. Like, it's, it's really cool that Doug comes up to me when he sees that I'm there and, like, setting up. Like, it's not like, oh, I need to go up to Doug and hope he remembers me. No, like, I'm taking all my fucking DVDs out because I'm late and I got to <laughs> fucking set up. And then here comes, oh, Steve, how you doing? That's my terrible British accent.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: Um, and it's, it's just really cool. He's a really, he's a really nice guy. His significant other is a total sweetheart. And I always love seeing them and being around them. And, you know, I miss that sort of stuff in this current year. Please wear a goddamn mask. Yes.
0: Oh, how's this past year been for you? (laughs)
2: Uh, Well, honestly, fucking great. This has been my best year of my fucking life. Because I'm an introvert, I hate being around people, I hate going outside, so my mental health has gone from zero to fucking 200. I ain't kidding at all. The money is worse, I'm real tight when it comes to that, but in terms of like personal mental health, I feel really shitty saying it because I know how hard it has been for other people, and it really has Mm -hmm. been, but man, I'm doing great.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. And (laughs) I like that you said wear a fucking mask. Absolutely. Uh, our state—I state, don't know where uh, where you're out of, but we're in what I, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, you guys just had a lockdown too. Another one, right?
2: Yeah, it's spiking real bad in our area.
0: Uh, same here. We're actually on a lockdown now, um, so we're in another lockdown. Uh, this year it has not been great. Um, so I didn't, I am in the same boat. I really like being home, uh, but being home, uh, I uh, all the time. All the time is is <laughs> I need to I need to at least leave the house. Yeah, <laughs> I need to leave the house. Um,
2: I, I will say there's there's the bittersweet level because like it hit me a few weeks back where like I was really missing doing the Marvel performing stuff yeah. because it's like it's so low stakes because I've been doing it so long that like it's second nature. It's nothing that I have to practice or like put too much like stress into because I'm doing a good job every time. There's a reason why they send me so many places instead of anyone else. Um. But, like, it's just, like, the travel, I miss, the being fed all this amazing food, I miss, getting to make a bunch of people smile, I miss, and getting, honestly, just paid to perform so consistently, I I didn't realize how much I missed it until a few weeks ago, when I had, like, one really bad, depressing day. And I would like to clarify, that was one day, you know, a couple years ago, I had a very depressing year, and it got very dark. And that's been gone for a while, but I still had that one day.
0: Yeah. Thank you. The uh, uh, so um, do you guys have any more questions? Because I'm pretty good.
1: No, well, I just I just wanted to see. Um, so I know Steve, you you had um, obviously we're plugging the um, streaming site, so want to give you an opportunity to once again remind people to check out that site and what else, um, whatever else you'd like them to uh, be anticipating or check out.
2: Absolutely. Well, again, stevebuster.com is the streaming option. Uh, usually the bundle is $2.99 a month for three months, $4.99 if you just want one month. And like I said, it just until the end of this week, uh, it, right now it is December 6th. I will say the deal goes until the 13th, um, but it is $15 for six months. And again, you get access to the whole library, all the bonus features, everything via unlisted YouTube links that you can keep. And we are going to keep on updating and putting more new stuff on the website over the course of the next months. And as I also said, once we start shooting Carousel II, any behind the scenes information or footage or anything like that is going to be on Steve Buster as the first sneak peek for Steve Buster subscribers. If you would like to buy any of my stuff physically, SilverSpotlightFilms.com is my home website where you can find all of my movies. They are available on DVD and on blu-ray most of the time the blu-ray just has more features and also the 1080p hd transfer obviously uh the miaoi movie blu-rays it's two per disc so like one blu-ray has miaoi one and two and then the second blu-ray has miaoi three and four because they're such cheap films that i would have felt like a fucking piece of shit scumbag selling one movie <laughs> mm-hmm. on a blu-ray yeah. when they can both easily fit on one for how cheap they were to make <laughs> I have some
1: morals as a coroner, okay. Yes, yes. Some. <laughs>
2: Steve,
1: um, Steve, how can people uh, follow you on InstaMeet on social media
2: on InstaMeet? You know what I was saying. <laughs> uh, I am on Instagram at Dark Mullet. You know, when Marvel is going on, that's usually where most of my like Spider Man spandex and behind the scenes Marvel pictures are. Uh, it's also where I put some of my cosplay stuff. I'm not really a cosplayer, I just have a few suits that I take pictures in because I look very good in spandex. I know what people are coming to my page for. You're all welcome. Um, <laughs> and uh, pictures of my cat. You know, picked, I just posted a picture of my Kenny Omega toy because he's the new AEW World Champion, baby. Um, um, Kenny Omega, <laughs> big fan of Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada. They're both my they're both my favorites. Yeah. One of my so, one of my best birthday gifts ever gotten for me from Bill Murphy is this custom art that's above my head. I don't want to grab my camera and fuck everything up, yeah, but yeah. it is of Okada holding Kenny's wrist. To uh, perform the Rainmaker, but it's done in um, yaoi art, homosexual hentai. So they are very centrally looking at each other, and it is the most beautiful fucking thing that I've ever gotten <laughs> for my birthday. That's,
1: That's
2: awesome. Um, and uh, okay, so uh, at Dark Mullet on Instagram, uh, Silver Spotlight Films on Facebook, and honestly, my Facebook page is public. If you don't send me a message, I probably won't add you, unless you're very pretty or very handsome. Either way, I am shallow. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Everyone's beautiful. Um, But you can at least see my post there. Reach out if you want to connect, chat, anything like that. You know, my Facebook page is public for that reason. Oh, cool.
0: All right. Uh so before we let you go, uh, you—I just had one last question that just came to my mind. You're obviously a big wrestling fan. Um, I love—I oh, I love older wrestling. Watching wrestling, people that watch wrestling get storyline. I feel a lot better than other people. Has that helped you in your films?
2: Uh, in films, no. But for Marvel, yes. Because oh, I've been, for uh, Marvel, they actually trust me to write new shows from time to time when they need a new show, and they trust me to write it, and I make that pro-wrestling as fuck. Like, awesome. <laughs> fucking green... Like, the shows before me were, like, a lot more straightforward, just like, oh, kids, bullying is wrong. Oh, the Green Goblin's here, gotta fight them. When I started writing them, uh, Green Goblin starts coming down the like, the stairs of the arena, throwing popcorn, being like, fuck your local sports team! Y'all are shit! I'm gonna go to this other city, because it's a real city, insert rival city here, like, just, the first time they let me write, and the first time we put on one of my shows for a client, the client was just like, I have never fucking heard them boo so loud prior to your show, Steve. And then they never cheered so loud up until Spidey beats the shit out of him. And again, wrestling fans, so it's like DDTs and V-Triggers and Chops. That's awesome. Like, they let me choose who gets casted, so I bring in some of my acting friends that I know can do stunts. I bring in my, like, buddy that's, like, trained in pro wrestling, and we just go crazy.
0: That's, that's so badass. So so what I'm hearing is that uh, another film project should be a wrestling movie.
2: I have considered it. I have legitimately – I want to make a wrestling movie. I don't know what wrestling movie to make. I don't know what I can make that hasn't already been done or that would be uh, unique or interesting. How about a uh, Karis Hell?
3: In the cell. <laughs> <laughs> That'd
2: be a great movie. It's no, not bad. It's not bad. I like that.
3: Part um, <laughs> three.
2: One of the ideas that came up was the idea of doing a pro a pro wrestling story where everything actually is real, but the guy that runs the wrestling company has to act like it's all part of the show and fake in order to like not get the police involved with all this horrible violence. But then I realized that's more like a three-minute sketch than a feature-length film. <laughs> so I decided you against are. pursuing that specific idea.
0: So, Steve, I, I wanted to thank you so much. I'm so grateful this happened. Uh, I have been so excited since Dave told me that he reached out to you. Um, the people in my house, I have been telling them for, like, all <laughs> week, I'm like, you gotta leave me alone. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just a big fan. I really like your work um, and I'm so grateful that you came on and I can't thank you enough. Um, so thank you from all of us at PBD Har. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show man.
2: I mean thank you for having me and again, thank you for all of your kind words. It really means a lot to me whenever people like really appreciate one of my movies. Never mind like someone like you saying that how much you like all of them because like I mean there's two reasons why I do this. One is money, but the second is I just like making people smile because I had a really rough life growing up. Uh, I spent a lot of my life not smiling and being in a very bad place, and if I can do one of the things I'm good at in order to make someone else not feel that way, even if it's just for an hour and a half, really means everything to me. And whenever people enjoy what I do and get what I do, it just it helps me feel like I have a point. So it really it really means more to me than anyone can really ever fucking realize whenever they tell me good things or that they enjoyed what I've done, because it really is a big part for me.
1: That's awesome. Then we, we appreciate it as well. It brings a little brings a little excitement and enjoyment to our lives. So thank you for doing it. Thanks,
0: man. Um, thanks. You're welcome. Uh, so then we'll we'll just end this real quick. Uh, I'm Joshua. I'm Brandon.
1: This is Dave. And
2: this is Steve Brzezinski.
0: Thank you for listening to PVD Horror. Hi,
2: this is Steve Brzezinski. God damn it. <laughs> damn it, Josh. Um, hi.
0: So I figured we'd start with... Uh, did you just look behind you? Make sure the
2: porn was off. No, I was seeing at what point of Die Hard I was paused on. That so was a <laughs>
0: nice
2: one where That's John McClane is just crying into his gun.
0: <laughs> Can I,
2: okay. Okay.